Well, so good to be with you all again this evening. Uh, I would invite you to turn in a Bible to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to drop into the middle of a story there in just a moment. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you what we've been up to here at the Neighborhood Church. We've been beginning our year reflecting on, teaching about, and looking again at our five core practices. Y'all see those lovely little icons there behind me on the screen? Our first one a couple weeks ago was follow... This is the easiest one, Jesus. Sunday school answer works for that one. The next one was to love neighbor, and this evening we are talking about growing disciples. Growing disciples. They are grown, not manufactured. That means it takes time, it takes effort and energy, and sometimes it gets messy. So in just a few moments, we're going to talk about um, growing disciples, These are, of course, practices, not values, right? Values influence how we behave, but ultimately these five practices are the five focusing, unifying practices of how we are to live as God's people together. So that's what we're looking at. And in our church, discipleship is all about relationships, Okay, Our first week when we talked about following Jesus, we said that means you're a disciple or an apprentice. You're not just somebody who prayed a prayer. You're somebody who prayed a prayer and it got your feet moving, moving in line with Jesus. So we say in our church, discipleship is being with Jesus. Y'all know it. To learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus in our everyday life. That's a practice. And that discipleship involves a relationship with Jesus. If you're going to follow him, you got to know what he's up to, know what he's about, know where he's headed. But it also is a relationship with Jesus' disciples. This is the tricky part. When you say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, you look up and you see him and hallelujah, amen. And then you look around and you see a bunch of other stinky folks walking with you. And you realize at that point that this is not an individual endeavor. This is a community effort. Jesus has always been about gathering people. And the thing with Jesus is he loves to gather all sorts of people. So it's in this context of a community that disciples are made. Discipleship is all about relationship with Jesus and Jesus' people. That's what we sign up for. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. So we're in Acts chapter 9. Hope you got it open there or swiped to it on your phone. It's going to be on the screen. And I'm going to walk through this story, taking a couple breaks as we go, because I want to talk tonight about a rhythm of discipleship. A rhythm of discipleship. Last year we talked about it. Same rhythm, different words. If you want, your homework is to go back online and saw the words I did there, and then you can realize that I'm basically just repackaging everything every week. It's the same thing, right? Same rhythm, different words. And the words we're looking at this evening, it all starts with a Jesus encounter. Everything starts with a relationship with Jesus, And then you realize, like I just said, you look up and realize you're not alone. So then you've got to have this community embrace. And all the while working, moving in and through and around is this Holy Spirit of God encouragement, 
forming us, shaping us, uniting us. So a Jesus encounter we're going to see, a community embrace we're going to see, and the Holy Spirit encouragement, moving us, sending us, all the while, that's where we're at tonight. That's what we're going to see right here in the middle of Acts chapter 9. The headline is a dramatic conversion and then the bold ministry of one of the most famous Christians in the world. That sounds like an awesome sermon, but that's the sermon for another time. Because I'm not going to talk about the headline. I want to talk about the behind-the-scenes community in which this famous conversion, this famous Christian, finds his roots to grow into the person that God has called him to be. And I think, I hope that you'll walk away with an encouragement, as messy as it is, as hard as it is, that you will feel compelled to take root in a community, perhaps this one, because that's what discipleship is all about. Relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus' people. Let's look in Acts chapter 9. We're dropping into the middle of the story Last half of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Wait a minute, isn't he the man who was raising havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on this name? So Paul's saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And they said, I heard that. Oh yeah, those are those dudes you were trying to arrest. Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Let's pause in our story. Many of you who have grown up in church have probably heard the story of a man named Saul who was so ready to get a leg up in the world. He wanted that promotion. He was working with the chief priests of this Jewish movement from which Jesus and his followers came. And he was ready to round them up and lock them up. And he said, give me an arrest warrant for these Jesus people, and I'm going to go to Damascus and get them. So he is headed into Damascus as a persecutor, right? And then he meets Jesus. Now, imagine you're driving down the road, you see a blinding light. Not so unusual, but when you look into this blinding light... You have to stop dead in your tracks, and then you hear a voice. Now you're thinking, what was in my coffee? What on earth is happening? And all of a sudden, this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you're not already freaked out, you're super freaked out because you thought, man, I thought I was going for these Jesus people. I ain't persecuting the light and a heavenly voice. But there is some way in which Jesus is so united with his followers that to do violence against Jesus' people is to do violence against Jesus himself. And he says, you're going to persecute them, but I'm telling you, I've got bigger plans for you. So if I'm Saul, I'm perking up my ears and saying, this sounds pretty good. I'm looking to get a leg up in the world. But then Jesus brings the hammer down and says, I'm going to show you that to be a disciple of me is to suffer like I did. And then you're thinking, oh, this stinks. And then it's going to get even worse because that light was so bright it blinded him. So this sounds like a great start, right? This is him just minding his own business, headed to Damascus as a persecutor. But Paul, or Saul, excuse me, has a Jesus encounter that transforms him. 
transforms him to the point that when he shows up into Damascus, he's not there to be a persecutor. He's there to join in with them and say, actually, I think Jesus is who he says he is. Actually, I think Jesus is God's rightful king. I missed it, but I think, I think he is who he says he is. It's like that guy that you knew in high school 20 years ago, and then you bump into him at McDonald's, and you're like, can't be. No way. No way. Are you serious? Is this that guy? Y'all know that guy, right? Or is it just me? Maybe I'm that guy. Adam's a pastor? What? <laughs> Kelly went to high school with me. You can vouch a little bit. Oh, she's giving me side eye. It's true. <laughs> I'm that guy. This wigged people out. Let's continue in our story after this Jesus encounter. Verse 22. You're going to see that he's spending time now with these people he came to arrest. And you see that Saul grew more and more powerful. Not Superman powerful, but in the kinds of wisdom and giftedness that comes when you're connected to God and God's people. So powerful that he was baffling the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus actually was the Jewish king they had spoken of. Let me pause there real quick. This is for free. I love how the Holy Spirit uses the raw material of our own life, right? He has you as you where you are because you can talk to and influence people that I will never talk to and influence, He uses the raw material of Saul who had lived in that Jewish system, who had studied under the best rabbis, who had poured over the scriptures. So when the light switch turns on and he's now a follower of Jesus, he's in this Jesus community. He goes, but I'm I'm actually, I'm going to go back to my old stomping grounds into this synagogue and I'm going to use the knowledge that God has already given me and I'm going to now use it in the care of Jesus the King. The raw material of his intellect, his giftedness, the way that he can write and preach and speak just gets enabled and encouraged by the Holy Spirit within him. Let me tell you something. You may not think it or look like it, but the Holy Spirit has given you something that if you were to turn it over to him, it would be multiplied in his hands. In 2019, as we seek to make and invite more disciples, we need what you have that you haven't yet given. There's something I'm super excited about that it's not time to talk about, but I promise you there's someone here or listening online that's not here that we need. We need you and your thing. We just didn't know we needed it yet. But he loves to use the raw material to turn it loose within the community to grow us and grow the community and impact the world. Let's go on with our story. After many days had gone by, so he's still in with this community, there began to be a conspiracy among the Jews, his old friends, to kill him. Whoops, what a terrible start to ministry. I think I would have quit and gone to sell insurance. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers, now people are listening and looking to him. He is now reciprocating and growing up others. They took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. 
Y'all know I meet with a group of pastors in East Dallas from all different kinds of churches. And I think the next lunch we have, I'm going to say, we're all wondering about faithfulness and influence. Has anybody ever thought that they'd be lowered in a basket down a wall to get out of town because they hated your preaching that much? I think that's an ultimate gut check. So he was going as a persecutor. Now all of a sudden he's what? The persecuted. It's amazing. What a cost. That's what we mean when we say following Jesus. It costs us. We're going to be in line with him. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So he sneaks out of Damascus. He goes to Jerusalem. He says, these guys might welcome me and I might be able to spend some time with them. Yeah, imagine if a guy in ISIS showed up to your Wednesday night neighborhood group. Would you just say, come on in. Tonight's enchilada night, man. We're good. You'd probably say, hi, what's your story? What's your business here? This is what's going on here. Saul's reputation had preceded him. They were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. But, verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. What a stretch. What an incredible encouragement. That name Barnabas, O Barney, means son of encouragement. Isn't it true that sometimes when you're visiting or stepping into a new space, a new community, and you're putting yourself out there, how valuable is it for that one person? Who was it at your new job or in that new season of your life that took hold of you and said, hey man, I've been there, you're going to be okay, stick with me. When it says that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, took him, it really means he took him under his wing. And I've got to wonder, how would the church have been affected? How would we be affected and impacted? Had Barnabas, who presumably never wrote a New Testament letter, had Barnabas not vouched for the one who would write dozens of them, and plant dozens of churches, and open up the gates for the whole world to come in, how would we be affected if we didn't have Barnabas? Now, how would you be affected in your own life had you not had your own Barnabas? Who is sitting in here that needs you as a Barnabas? This is what I mean when I say we need the community embrace to stretch, to take a chance, to bring people alongside and said, I'm not just going to tell you, I'm going to show you. When we talk about growing disciples and we're saying it all really is leveraged on relationships, understand that in our church, we do a lot of stuff. Yes, we gather on Saturdays for worship. We gather in smaller communities on Wednesday for fellowship, prayer, and an intentional conversation about our real life. Then out of that, the last six months, we've had smaller groups in groups of three, these discipleship groups where we're meeting all over the city and we're praying together, discussing all of that is relationships. Relationships. 
But when we go into the clothes closet, it's about relationships. We may be handing out 80 jackets to 80 kids in December, but ultimately we want them to know us and we want to know them because discipleship involves a taking alongside, yes? When we go to our calling, when we go to Austin Street, all of this is an excuse to get uncomfortable and get in relationships. What the church doesn't need is more programs unless our programs are in an effort to turn the chairs toward one another and to draw Jesus out of and bring Jesus into the community space. We have churches that do amazing jobs at gathering crowds. And we have things that they can do that we could never in a million years do. God blesses them and uses them to reach all kinds. But in our church, we're trying to leverage it all on using our gathering and our scattering as a way to draw Jesus out of and into relationships. And it involves this embrace of the community to help make it happen. So they took a chance. Somewhere in this time, as we jump back to Saul's story, he spent three years in a desert. I'm telling you, this was the worst way, I think, as far as seminary taught me, to start your ministry. Get death threats, get rejected, and then finally let in. Um, go spend some time in a desert. But what he's saying in Galatians 1 is somewhere along what we're reading here, he was in development with this relationship with Christ, but along the way he meets these people and Peter and James. Did y'all read that in Acts chapter 9? Let's get back there with me. Somewhere along the way, Barnabas took him to the apostles, the keepers of the way and the teachings of Jesus. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, had spent time with the Lord, vouching for him, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, this is a beautiful thing about when we grow disciples. Sometimes who you were doesn't always tower over the reputation of who you're becoming. I love this question, God, who am I becoming? So much of our culture is dictated on where you're from, who you know, where you went to school, what kind of jobs you had. I think a better question is who are you becoming? And I love that you see this subtle shift as the community begins to embrace him. All of a sudden, the reputation that preceded him as a persecutor becomes, no, actually, he's one of us. He's suffering. He's persecuted. And he's preaching the name of Jesus. And I love, 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 love stories of how reputations get recovered when Jesus transforms our lives. Don't you love those stories? We're going to talk about a couple of those stories in the second bit of our teaching in a minute. But it's all about this community. So verse 28, you see Saul sticking with them. He was hanging out with the guys in Damascus, seeing the way of Jesus, being embraced by the community. Whoops, heat's on, got to leave. Now I'm going to kick it in Jerusalem. Barnabas has encouraged me. The apostles are hearing me. Now he stays with them. And he moved about freely in Jerusalem. He knew Jerusalem. He had his favorite kosher deli. He had his favorite coffee spot. And so he was just going along speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, just making sure you're awake. 
And he talked and debated now with the Hellenistic Jews. He's moving on to the Greek-speaking Jews. But, whoops, what? (laughs) They tried to kill him. Now, I'm going to work at Starbucks. No. Watch the community step up again, a different community, now in Jerusalem, When they heard of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to his hometown. Saul was from Tarsus, and they said, Dude, why don't you go try there? Strike two, go on to strike three in Tarsus. And we'll have to pick up Saul's story another time. Because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us in verse 31, After Saul, who now we know as Paul goes on to his hometown, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. This community is united. They're a time of peace. They're strengthened. They're growing. Who? Together. And ultimately, you see that it's strengthened living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Spirit. This is the third and crucial piece, right? It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can do this program and operation known as church. We are not a social club, nor are we a social justice club. The Holy Spirit unites a group of difference so that we can make a difference in our neighborhood for God's kingdom, not our own glory. The mission and vision statement of the neighborhood church is that we would follow Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. Not to get more butts in seats or more clothes on food in people's bodies, but for his kingdom. And the degree to which we're doing that with the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit is the degree to which we are a healthy community growing disciples. Now, Y'all know my favorite pastoral question, don't you? Let me help you. Where are you on your journey? I'm looking at you, Amy Kahn. Help me out. Your journey with Jesus. Again, Sunday school answer, man. Whenever I tell you to say something, nine times out of ten, it's Jesus. You good? Where are you on your journey with Jesus? I love to ask that question because I feel like it's really evocative and it kind of cuts through the heart of like, well, I should pray more. No, no, no. Where are you in this rhythm? Highs and lows and twists and turns. Where are you on the path? Is Jesus 200 yards down the way saying, come on, I'm inviting you into something new and a next step? Or are you just jamming and y'all are walking lockstep with one another? Did y'all like that? Or is he 200 yards behind you and you look up and realize, actually, I'm all alone and I'm blazing my own trail. Where are you on your journey with Jesus? Y'all have heard me say that. Y'all have also probably heard me say my most common response. When I was a young adult pastor at another great church, I would get a lot of people that were coming off of a difficult time. And they had been away from church And so I'd ask them that question, and they would invariably say something like, well, I was baptized or saved when I was seven. 
And then I would say, y'all know, great, you're 37, tell me about the last 30 years, right? Because if I'm speaking to a 37-year-old that still acts, moves, looks like a 7-year-old, I'm wondering what's some development, developmental challenge that we're experiencing here. The same is true in our journey with Jesus. What's missing for so many people that we know that were connected to a church at some time in their life and they would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but then you say, okay, are you a disciple? They might go, well, why the disconnect? What's missing? I think it's not that they need to hear another killer sermon or that they need to do a self-guided handbook that fills in the blanks that will download the way and teachings of Jesus, I really truly believe that what's missing is a community of disciples. Doesn't this make sense, right? Imagine if Paul had this ecstatic, amazing religious experience and then stayed in the desert. Imagine if he tried to go and plant a church without ever being a part of a church. We need this grounding and we need these two relationships with Jesus and Jesus' people. That's why we say at the very beginning of these lovely little partnership agreements and why we've been doing this series. Because every year, we want to humbly and prayerfully consider our relationship with Jesus in this church. So we say that disciples of Jesus are called simultaneously to two relationships. The first is a relationship with God, like we spoke of. And then the second is a relationship with God's people. Have you had a Jesus encounter? And are you ready to be embraced by Jesus' community? This is what we mean. Now, how that looks in our third core practice to grow these disciples, because discipleship is all about what? these relationships, we say we commit to invite people into a relationship with Jesus by baptizing them, teaching them, and sending them on mission. We didn't make up those words. Jesus did. And when Jesus is speaking to his 12 disciples, because it was always within relationship, he said, I want you to go and get more of them and invite them into life with me by baptizing and teaching them to obey, right? So get them to encounter Jesus and then welcome them into the family and teach them how to do it. And then when they're good and ready, send them out to get more disciples and we repeat the process. We just totally plagiarized Jesus for our third core practice to grow disciples. And what I want to convey to you to try to tie off this whole point that I feel like I'm belaboring, but I want you to understand it's more than a curriculum or hearing a sermon. It's more than just going to church as a presentation. It's more about partnership with a community of people to grow you and change the world. So this is what we're saying. A community of disciples is the greenhouse where disciples grow in their life with God. That's the message I'm trying to convey to you. That's what I see in Acts chapter 9. That's how we do church, for better or for worse. 
All the things we do, again, is an effort to turn the chairs toward one another and to our neighbors to draw Jesus out of each other and to invite Jesus into the lives of others. And we see that in a Jesus encounter. We see that in a community embrace. We see that in a Holy Spirit encouragement. I want to pivot here and I want to finish with an aside, a story, and questions. And my aside that I want to do is to highlight just how unlikely everyone thought, just how unlikely of a disciple Saul was. And I think it's worth noticing and noting that there are no lost causes in the kingdom of God. There are only those people whom Jesus misses the most. And I use that phrase, who Jesus misses the most, intentionally, because throughout Jesus' ministry, as the crowd of disciples follows behind him, You can't take a step toward Jesus without realizing that he's taking a step toward the lonely, the left out, and the least. And for us to follow Jesus as his disciple is to go out into those dark spaces in which you would never imagine him or her to join us. But when Jesus goes after him, we see the most unlikely transformation. And the way I like to think about this is this way. As we go out to invite others, we need to understand that there are no lost causes. There are no people beyond the reach of Jesus. So I want to transition now into a story. And it's a story from a man named Father Greg Boyle. We have a picture of Father Greg, who's been working with former gang members in Los Angeles for 30 years. Do y'all see him in the middle of that picture? So, this man, this 65-year-old white man with a white beard and a bald head, has been faithfully following Jesus to invite the most unlikely and lostest of causes in some of the darkest and most violent places in our country. And he started a ministry called Homeboy (laughs) because it was 30 years ago and that's how you talked in 1991 or whatever it was. But it's also because that's the language of the people he was trying to reach. And so he has so many amazing stories But the one that I just recently came across really, I think, helped to illustrate what we mean when we're inviting these lost causes by baptizing them, teaching them, and bringing them along for the ride. Father Greg speaks of a man named, I don't know if he wants to use his name, but he speaks of a man that was a crack cocaine dealer and gang member that became his own best customer. And he developed a drug addiction. And finally, at the pleading of Father Greg, 
he entered into rehab. And this is when Father Greg makes the really important note that he could want to change his life as much as possible, but ultimately it mattered that this man wanted to change his own life. For him to finally get to a point to realize that he's powerless and enter into a rehab. So Father Greg tells this story of this young man that enters into a rehab to try to get his life back on track. Well, while this man is in rehab, he learns that his brother has committed suicide. And that's a shocking thing, evidently, in the gang community. He said it's more likely that these young men would step into enemy turf with a death wish instead of taking their own life. So this was devastating news. And Father Greg knew that he had to call this young man in rehab and tell him that his brother has taken his life. So, of course, this young man is devastated. And Father Greg says, the funeral is this week, and I'll give you a ride, but you've got to understand, I've got to take you right back to the rehab center. And at this point, he sees the growth in this young man's life where he says, yes, please, I feel like I'm in a good space, and recovery is where I need to be. So you see the seeds of growth over time. Well, they hang up the phone, and then the next day when Father Greg goes to pick him up at the rehab center, this man looks at him and says, i got to tell you about this dream that I had last night. And in my dream, we were sitting in a pitch black room. There was no light coming in from the doorway. There was no light in and around us. But I knew that you were sitting in a chair across from me. We weren't speaking. We were silent. But I knew that you were there with me in that darkness. And then he said in his dream that he saw Father Greg take a flashlight, turn it on, and shine with a steady hand a light directly to the light switch. And this young man in their car on the way to his brother's funeral looks at him and says, and in my dream, I knew that I had to turn on the light switch. And so I got up and I turned on the light switch. And as he's telling Father Greg this story with tears in his eyes, he says, and the light is so much better than the darkness. And when I'm thinking about our church and thinking about this dream that this young man who was such a lost cause was taken on by Father Greg, developed in a community, and then ultimately with the Holy Spirit influence, realizes that it is not anyone else's responsibility to have a relationship with Jesus for him. He has to go and have a Jesus encounter himself. And the beauty is this, there are so many roads, not just to Damascus, but to Garland and Wiley and Mesquite and Dallas and fill in the blank that Jesus is already working. We don't have to go and force people to flip on the light switch. In fact, it's even God's grace and the Holy Spirit's work that enables them to stand up. Our job as God's people, as Jesus' disciples, as filled with the Holy Spirit, is to carry a flashlight and shine to the only one who can transform the lost causes. Because you can't and I can't, but we sure can take them alongside with us within our community. We can't turn on the light for them, but we can hold the flashlight. And so the questions I want to close and leave you with are these. This is a question for your own soul, your own part, your own participation on your own journey. 
If I flipped my pastoral question and said, where are you on your journey with this community or any community? Maybe you've never taken the first step. Please talk to me. Talk to Pastor Bud. Talk to Pastor Kathy. Tonight. If I were to say, where are you in your relationship with this community? Maybe you need to take a next step and say, as introverted as I am and as messy as this is, I'm going to take a leap of faith and step into a community because there's growth to be had in me and transformation to happen in this neighborhood. I want in. Maybe that's you. So these are our heart questions. The first is, what's my part in helping this community invite others into a Jesus encounter? Who's the people I need to be real diligent about praying for and shining a light to? I've got lost causes in my life. Do you? The second question is this. What's my part in helping this community become a greenhouse for disciples marked by community embrace? That's a convoluted question that basically gets down to this. Who are you going to take alongside this year? Who are you going to ask to take you? Hey, I'm struggling. I need someone to walk with. Let's meet. Can I volunteer my time? Y'all pay me to give it. Let me give it to you. And let you give some to me. Because I don't have the corner of the market on maturity. We need to grow one another. Finally, I'll leave you with this. What's my part in helping this community stay inspired, enabled, and moved out by Holy Spirit encouragement? What's my heart and my part in begging for the wind of the Spirit to catch us and move us out into relationship with each other and with our neighbors? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be God's people together. Thank you for how you go ahead of us and you're at work in us and that it's not all up to us. That our job is to join in what you are doing and that we would see new life and new disciples crossing over from death to life in you. Father, we ask your blessing on each person gathered here. And we ask for courage to take whatever step that you would have us to take. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. God's love surround you. God's Spirit guide you. God's whisper cheer you. God's peace calm you. God's shield protect you. God's wisdom arm you. Wherever God may lead you. Go in peace.